0: Welcome to the, mo- the- <laughs> We gotta keep that in. Welcome to the Mindful Server podcast with myself Will Foster and my co host Liam Morgan. Hello. Let's keep in the bits that
1: we mess up. Well to uh is to to be human, as the postcard says. How are you, Will?
0: Dehydrated. <laughs> yes, me too, i forgot my water. You're the camel. I've done big service with you, loads of coffee. You don't have loads of water after because I just don't think you need it. But it's just like when do you piss? Is it like a couple of times a day, or it just during the night? Because I'm an old man now. Oh, okay. No, I
1: just get up, have a little walk to the toilet, <laughs> sit down, have a wee. Right,
0: <laughs> do a sit down wee. it depends how much beer I've drunk. That's 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 real wee etiquette. Because of course we get the splash and all the. So you do the sit down. No, not, I tell you
1: what, it's nothing to do with etiquette. It's just to do with kind of my legs not working in the middle of the night. Depends no. how I'm feeling, where I am. Me, on the other hand, I mean, what two stops on average? You just drive back. I, it, it takes us longer to get to where we're going on a surf trip with
0: Will. Because we do have to stop two or three times for a, for a wee stop. Effectively, I am reducing going... your wave count. Yeah. With me wee. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm dehydrated. I just did one of the orangest wees ever because they did a four-hour search. I haven't done that for, I can't remember. Just We just both got out of the sea, didn't we? It's well, just... you
1: stayed in longer than I did, but I was in before you. So I guess it's balanced out. Yeah. We're surfing loads. Oh, but at the then, moment.
0: is there a contest they do? Is that that's how you're erring there? Is there some sort of. Comparison. Com- you're doing like as a sort of. Will's been in this long, I've been in. Oh, I got in before. I did. Yeah. It's turning into that. Yeah. You're sort of slowly coming like. Well, I can't, to be fair, surf I'm, as much as you. I'm like, oh, I'm oh <laughs> Will, I'm on contest with him now. I'm so oh, I'm getting better at cutbacks. Although, this I do is. I you take off on waves like. Ego is, is ego.
1: Ego is ego. Uh, shall I tell you a little bit of thing I've noticed as we are surfing more and more, trying to catch the same waves mm-hmm. now, is uh, you were saying, are you going? Are you going? Mm. Go on, Liam. Are you going? But mm. you're paddling still for the same wave.
0: It's, it's having, hard to know. I'm having to take in I know. you paddling for the same wave and me trying to kind of take I off. I know. It's difficult because I very arrogantly feel like I'm going to, you know, have the paddle part to kind of make it. Now you'd be the first to say that probably got slightly less paddle power than I have, although a lot. We care how I tread this ground, right? now. Well, you're younger and fitter than I. Am. Younger and fitter, and all that stuff. You see, mm. you see, there's I'm... a shield, dude. You see, it's contest now, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a contest. I can slowly start to realise. I'm like, oh, all that stuff now is coming back. I'm like, I get it. Yeah, deep down, he's like trying to overtake the teacher. He's like, he wants to kick the teacher in the teeth. That's oh, that's really how it's working. So it always, that's that's what um, happens. But I do. I do this thing where I sort of I'm like. Mm. And of course, it's completely bullshit because just should leave Liam to pad off the way. But there was a, a couple of occasions today where you didn't quite make it, and I just managed to nip in. Because I've been in for an hour before you. Because you've been in an hour before me. <laughs> My
1: shoulders are already
0: gone. <laughs> <army>. <laughs> and, and, and you did the old line. Now, this is the line that should probably is the worst. I oh, should have been an hour ago. That's the famous, annoying surfing line, isn't it? Or you should have seen it yesterday. You should have seen it. Or it got better. And it, Well, I did that, didn't it was I? It's classic yesterday. Yeah. It was classic. It was
1: classic on Saturday. But we listen, we've been getting, we're very blessed, and the gratitude vibes are high in the studio because we've had pretty much back-to-back, haven't we? We had some Mm. micro-tiniest waves that actually weren't really waves, but we got in on Thursday and Friday of last week, and then we surfed all over the weekend, different places, along the South Coast. But you're more dehydrated, from a competitive point of view, more dehydrated because I simply survive on less water Mm. and more coffee and tea. and
0: If I don't have enough hydration... Proper proper job. Proper... (laughs) If I don't have enough <laughs> hydration for the surf, I, I it really affects my energy, mm. output, what I can do and stuff. You know, we are really blessed. We're verging on surfed out. I think I'm on day nine of a session each day and then double sessions as well, as you are, I'm sure. God, that's a blessing to start to get close to that feeling of, you know, the upper traps around the neck. The, the lats are all starting to go, Ooh, if it did break again, would I am I gonna have to just have a break? But then the thing is with our swivel cost is it's just back to back now. I know. Think we being on the south coast where we are now. Wherever you listen to this around the world, you might be in New Zealand, you might be in America, you might be in Antarctica. Antarctica, who knows where you are when you're listening to this? But there'll be spots um, that you, you you have that just work, you know, really regularly, right? And if you happen to live by them, then then you get a plethora of, of swell all the time. Let's say you live in Western Oz, okay? Now, what's amazing about humans is we adapt. So four to six feet and and absolutely pumping is is the, just the norm there. So just. That's happening, happening all the time. For us, that would be like the the greatest thing we've ever seen in in our town. Now, the amazing thing with hunger is I think because like if you compare it, talking about comparison being silly, but let's just do this for the sake of the conversation. But if you do compare our surf just on video with surf that you get around the world, certain places, it's it's laughable how mellow and fat and crumbly and everything it is. But we love it. But what is really interesting is how having met a number of surfers who live in different parts of the world and surf with them as well, is we as surfers where we live, have more gratitude and more hunger. And maybe it's because those two are are inextricably linked, is that when you've gone without and then when you get, you feel this surge of happiness because of the novelty factor. Because for us, you know, seeing just completely flat sea or seeing only just like half a foot is what, I don't know, large periods of the year. We do get a lot
1: of flat. But that's what, in a way, it's kind of perfect. Perfect. What is perfection? Hmm. It's a fetish that surfers chase. But it's a great example or a great, arena to practice mindful surfing in isn't it because you've got to really dial in the gratitude for what you get you get what you get you don't get upset getting that energy our ocean when it churns because of the red clay soil is brown isn't it we li- we do live in brown town but we're forever grateful for that and then when you do get to go and experience other places and we're grateful for the other people sharing their breaks with us it's just a, a dream so you know we've had some great surf and it's been it's been awesome and it's going to continue because the winter for us we do get some classic days as well, you know. Oh, buddy! And then when we get back that back, poof, banging classic surf, it's, uh, it's it's a thing to behold. We've gone really surfy there, haven't we?
0: Really, really surfy. But it's because we're we're living it. We're you know yeah. three minutes from the beach, and um, it has been pumping. It's still pumping now. It is. We've been so blessed with it. I did. I, I reckon I did the turn of my life, and it's so unimportant to anyone else. But I just, just managed to carve in the bowl and leave my tail the wrong way round, up into the foam, like mm. kind of leaning back on on the foam and then came around and and carried on. And those little... The highs you can get in surfing when you do something new are really interesting because, like, on video, I'd probably be nigh-on depressed (laughs) if I saw myself do it. Because I'd be like, ''Oh, no, I'm shit.'' Compared to what I thought was in that way, compared to the, what the feeling was. And that's what's really interesting about video is that the feeling felt so, so high. So if anything below that, even by a percentage on the look is below that feeling, then there's going to be a real drop off in what the feeling actually was. And it's it's a funny one because in surfing, people love, well, not everybody, but a lot of people have and enjoy having videos and photos of themselves. But in some ways, it destroys the the mysterious joy always of that pure feeling and... It's a theme that comes up all the time with us, isn't it? Yeah. Talk. We've discussed it
1: many times before that fine from a progression point of view, technical progression, you need, to, uh, you need to see what it is that you're trying to improve on. But if it's about the feeling, who cares? Is it great while you're playing that tune? If it sounds good to you, it's good. It doesn't matter what it sounds like to somebody else, unless that's what you're making a living from. And uh, none of us are making a living... <laughs> And when I say none of us, I mean us in this uh, room. Uh, But the people, a lot of you guys and and girls listen to this and we're not making a living from surfing. So uh, we're just doing
0: it for the feeling and the joy and the stoke. But one day, one of our goals of the podcast is to be on the tour. Well, (laughs) quite frankly, based on how you were surfing the other day, I was thinking, well, listen, Liam's like Bodie from Point Break. I mean, the way you were getting in that bit earlier, but going back to, to a serious point is that one of our dreams is is to yeah. not become a pro surfers. That's not what it is, but um, is to make a success out of what we're doing here because it's what we love. And, but also it's a lifestyle thing in the sense that if you can have success in an artistic fashion, is it just the freedom in lifestyle is, is epic. Now, yeah. I know I already have a tremendous amount of that. So do you. So yikes, bikes, it's not like we're starting off on on the wrong foot, like we're you know, in that nine to five, you know Monday to Friday. But if you are, And you're working lots, but you want to surf more, you know, and we discussed this on previous shows, but just know that there is always an opportunity for change. And you don't have to stay in that lifestyle if you don't want to. And uh, I think a lot of it's about letting go of what people think. But like we talk all the time, the paradox of mindfulness is, you know, if it is about that thing of what people might think, if you ditched that job and went for something that was, you know, much more low key, even minimum wage or whatever, so you can surf more, you know, there's no such thing really as, you know, I don't care about what people think like that in that way because on the precipice of doing these big leaps in life whether it's going for a big wave or with people watching or or if it's you know ditching that job so you can surf more or whatever it is there will just inevitably be thoughts and feelings around what other people think and that's the whole point in how you let go is you don't let go you just observe you just watch your mind and watch your feelings and go yeah i'm human I'm, i massively care what my parents might be thinking right now if i didn't follow this law path and, and, and actually just wanted to, you know, work in the supermarket to be able to live by the beach. And I don't know, whatever. I'm, there just, I'm just guessing. There is, there
1: is no right path. And, and actually all of the stuff that we talk about here, and we get on to the Tom Hewitt, who is our, he's dropped in today and is a superb guest and a great sort of epic, conversationalist epic, yes. and, and a, a real sort of mindful surfer and, and a human being that is, deserves all the credit that he gets and, and so on. But, you know, we are f- super privileged in the position that we have, to make those choices in the world in which we live. And there are so many people, especially in the times that we kind of find ourselves in, where that choice is simply not there for them. So, you know, we wear all this with very much the kind of approach that it's a blessing, the life that we've uh, we've all, you know, you guys out there and, and us here in the studio have, have been given. This sort of, whether it's proximity to the beach or the ability to be able to get there and to choose to surf more. And there are just some people out there who don't have that uh, luxury. So you need to kind of, uh, need our community, our surf community to be out there extolling the virtues of surfing, but also being enablers to allow other people that can't otherwise make those choices to access it. And that's what Tom uh, is doing in South Africa, out in Durban and, and Mozambique, and uh, using the kind of hook of surfing, actually, and that kind of ocean therapy and that blue water kind of vibe to get people into better, you know, more kind of structured kind of uh, ways of life that's going to kind of help them in the longer term. And he's using that power f- and, and really, really well. So um, shall we have a little listen to uh, me, you, and Tom chatting about life surfing and his charity, Surfers Not Just Three Children?
2: Oh, was it? Um, oh man, it was like it was like six foot, you know, like real nice. Yeah. Genuinely, but not just doing the out like full no handers. but oh It was man, actually it working. Was like, no, it was like because it's low tide, so those low tide banks are way better than the high tide. So six foot like low tide. So nice. Um, and today we, we race back there and it's like so bad, like really bad.
0: <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Pottsboro is such a fickle spot. I always remember Masher. You know Masher in, um, works in Tiki now, but... Yeah, I know Masher well. He's a legend, isn't he? Yeah. But he's always like, oh, it's just a no-ander. It's just a no-ander. There's no, you can't yeah. go left,
2: you can't go right. <laughs> you no, know, since being here, the thing I've noticed is that you lose out, like there's a lot of guys that say, oh, you miss only surf Croy at low tide. That's like a big mistake to be one of those and you must never surf parts, big mistake. Always go to Linmouth, big mistake. You've actually got to think about it more. There's so many good waves. We've had great sessions at like Croydon high tide. Over the summer, there was like a little high tide peak, or let's say mid tide plus. That was like just cooking on small swells. So yeah, if you hear someone saying, "Oh, it only works at this tide," you gotta "Go, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah." You're always going to make your own call. How is it comparison-wise? Are you burdened by comparison, Tom, having surfed amazing spots around the world, or is the home break always the favourite one?
2: Well, that's a tricky one for me in terms of home break because yep. I've lived in South Africa for the last 30 years. Mm. So home break to me is New Pier in Durban, mm-hmm. right? And I'm starting because we've been over in the UK for the last couple of years. Uh, my wife's been getting her citizenship here, and we set up Surfers Not Street Children UK to support the work in Africa. Croyd has become a home break as well, so I kind of feel a home at Croyd and a home at New Pier. Man, they really do compare. I think Croyd is world class on its mm. day. You know, the mistake is people will go when it's not on its day and say, "Ah, English surf. Mm -hmm. Actually, English surf's great. Yeah, I mean, I really believe that England has fantastic waves and consistency is kind of everywhere's inconsistent to a degree. I went to university in California, surfed there for nearly five years. That's inconsistent. It's not that much different from here. Japan, I go to Japan, we've got supporters over there. That's inconsistent, you know. So the thing with England is it is grey and it's cold. That it is, you know. But that, <laughs> stay, man, stay, stay, waves man. here were blue. And, I mean, Cornwall's a bit bluer. Yeah. If Croyd was blue and sunny, man, it'd be a destination. On its day, I mean, the barrels at Croyd are just insane. I mean, it's as good as, as, good as anywhere awesome to hear
1: i mean we talk about this a lot don't we that, that we we're only missing the sort of instagramification if you like of british waves it's just that we don't have that white sand and blue turquoise waters but yeah you, you pick the right spot at the right time and it's just it's bliss
2: you know people say oh it's weak and crappy and this is typical english surf Kind of everywhere. I mean, in Durban, you get howling onshores for days. You know, it's like it happens. And I always complain when I'm in Durban. I it's so windy here. You know, it's always windy. So you do moan kind of wherever you are. But I think there's definitely an English sense of inferiority about its waves, which I think is just not true. You know, I've surfed waves in Cornwall that are great. I think Devon is superb. Kimmeridge Bay, I mean, oh my... Yeah, I know. know. That's the wave. I went there in the middle of winter. Six foot on that right hander. That's world class. I it's mean, it's insane. My brother um, lived in
0: Wareham for about 10 years and, and has a lot of connections in the area. And I've mm. surfed it only a handful of times. And each time I've surfed it, even on an onshore day, that thing goes and you can really pull into some turns and it barrels yeah. and it's, and the water's clear and like, it's such a spot. It really is.
2: Yeah. It's so yeah. cool to hear,
0: hear how positive you are, Tom, about England. That's so cool to hear. Cause like Liam and I talk about loads on the show, like it's so easy to get into this Instagram thing of, you know, where are people surfing around the world where it's blue and sunny and perfect. And, mm, yeah. but to hear someone who's, who's living, you know, both in South Africa and in, in England and getting to travel around the world too. Yeah. Is actually holding
2: up the English flag in that way. That's so yeah. encouraging to hear. Very mindful way of being. It's funny, I was talking to my brother about it. And uh, you know, surfers are trying to find a little piece of paradise somewhere which is uncrowded. And sometimes I think to myself, you know what? Maybe the paradise doesn't have to be where it's I mean, I love hot weather, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it doesn't have to if you can get over the cold, you wanna find somewhere that isn't too sort of aggro and you can get waves. And and actually England's pretty cool. I, I sometimes feel that like I have a sort of public life with surfers not street children, and you know we're often in name brand surf spots around the world. Name brand surfers, high octane surfing going on right in front of your eyes. That's super cool. But then I can retreat to this place called England where no one really comes here to surf. There are a lot of people in the water but it's a handful of rippers so it's not really a, a bun fight to get waves. And actually people are pretty cool. You know they're friendly here. It's not, and there's exceptions everywhere but... Yeah, um, yeah. But to be honest, it's, it's a good vibe. So I feel quite relaxed surfing in England. And, and definitely, both my brother and I, we definitely don't feel let down by, by the waves. Amazing
1: to hear. We are sort of second that. You know, there are so many little spots to, to discover. I was back up in the northeast over the summertime. And talking about welcoming lineups, you know, because mm-hmm. you have these expanses of sand. Like you go to Bambra, and it's sort of you know longer than Saunton, but there's six guys surfing the peak, and and they're really welcoming when you get in as well. It's a it's a fantastic sort of vibe. That sort of almost that sort of altruism to share waves in those places is
2: you great. kind of only get that in South Africa when it's sharky sports. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. We take the cold over sharks any day of the week. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you work on that, Tom, in terms of the fear aspect with sharks? Does it ever get in your head?
2: Uh, I went out to Africa when I was 18. That was when yeah. I moved from the UK to, to South Africa. I'm 49 now. So um, when I was young, you have that kind of carefree, it won't happen to me. I lived on a point break called Queensbury Bay in South Africa. It's so, such a good point break. It's kind of like a mini Sunset Beach and not so mini either. It's really a great point, but it's super sharky. I remember then not even really thinking about it. Everyone else is surfing. So you just think, yeah, I guess you're saying it won't happen to me. And it does sometimes happen there. And it does sometimes happen up in the trans sky around there at that time. I suppose on that level, I took risks. Ironically, my brother, Ben, who lives in Bronton, And that's the reason that when I'm in the UK, I'm in Bronton, yeah. uh, He came out to visit me in, in East London, in South Africa, back in the early 90s. And he had quite a close encounter with a shark right next to me. I actually didn't see it, but he did. It was definitely a shark. So, and he was like fresh off the plane. Um, <laughs> Whoa. And also another, another surfer from Devon, actually, a, a guy called um, Martin Edwards. He's a bespoke joiner, talented guy. And yep. he came out to volunteer for me. And the one time in the lineup, I don't know what shock it was, but you just saw the classic Finn coming for him. And the look Whoa. of horror on his face, and then the thing just flipped around. Those are sort of anecdotal, but, you know, where it really did worry me, I I'd take my kids... My kids are studying in Bronton at the moment um, okay. and my middle son is really, really keen surfer um, and he's a good surfer as well. And I took him back to South Africa. I try and get him back to South Africa as often as possible to see his friends, but also mm-hmm. for surfing. And I took, we were down at the J Bay Open, the last one that ran. And I did think there's never really attacks at J Bay. But I did think to myself, oh, man, it's my son. I don't know how comfortable I am. Because yeah. Durban, we never really worried about it. But when my son, who's 13, was surfing, you know, we were just yeah, the two of us out at Magnus or, or a more crowded session at Supers. Um, I was like, oh, man, you know, I don't know how comfortable I felt. So one thing when it's yourself, when your kid is in, the, is in the lineup, in the place where you know that literally sharks are swimming under there all the time. And that's what drones have taught us there. Actually, the great thing about knowing that is that you see, oh, they they don't really attack them. Yes. At least Mm. not there. Mm.
1: Different level of fear, though. I mean, that's just Mm. because we've got kids too, and sort of the visceral fear fear that you have for yourself is manageable isn't it because it's yourself and you can deal you know you're yeah. you're responsible for your own sort of life or, or death I suppose but when you're sort of uh, in that father or parental lead figure especially when it relates to surfing as well mm. putting your kids into something that you've got so much joy and stoke yourself out of but knowing the
2: dangers that exist it's, it's quite mm-hmm. a hard line to walk right that's a toughie. And, and I kind of, he did really well at, um, at J-Bay. It was his first time surfing there. I mean, although he grew up surfing in Durban, it was his first time to go and surf in J-Bay. He did well, but I was kind of relieved at the end, strangely, that, you know, I just thought, I'm just kind of glad that he's back in Durban
0: now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really interesting dude. I was just going to say, no, it's just fascinating how we're always managing this thing called a mind. And we talk about this on the show and how it interrelates to the body as well and fear comes up all the time right so we you know you're surfing waves that are bigger than what you're used to or whether you're going into like a sharky spot with your son or whether you're in fact sometimes for a lot of people just going into crowded lineups because they're being potentially judged about their ability or whatever it might be but in the end we still got to manage this mind and these things called thoughts and how we react to things etc do you find yourself tom having to work on that is it practice of yours do you have anything you do for your mind that helps you become more mindful of of how to manage your thoughts and your feelings
2: um, I think like like everyone you have moments in your life where you're stressed anxious you know sometimes down as well and I have found that surfing has been a really healing sort of in those moments and I do not to any sort of prescribed rhythm but I do find that sometimes out in the lineup if something else is going on in my headspace and I'm feeling anxious and I happen to be in the lineup at the time and you do relax but there's a lot of waiting around sometimes in mm. surfing and I sometimes find that that's the time that my mind gets a bit stressed out when I'm waiting and uh, finally Funnily enough, what I've found is that, and this is just one of those kind of crazy little things, but I do find that just deep breathing, even when I'm sitting in the lineup, Mm -hmm. it kind of centers you again because you can be kind of a bit sort of chaotic and then suddenly just some deep breathing and inhales, exhales, and then suddenly you're sort of back on a bit of a level and you go back into, the, into surfing. And, you know, my brother and I have been really trying to analyze what it is about surfing that is so intoxicating. What is this thing called stoke? And one of the things that we were looking at was the idea of, you know, every time you take off on a wave, there's no other option than to live in the moment. I think there's something very therapeutic about being out in the ocean, the nature and all of that. But when it boils down to why that and why not sort of, I don't know, river kayaking or something, yeah. is that as cool as it is to be in the lineup, the minute you take off, you literally live in the moment for that second or couple of seconds or split seconds sometimes. And the minute you kick out or wipe out or come up again, you want to do that again. And there's something in that act of, of living in the moment that I think is intrinsically special.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't hear it more. I think it was Jerry Lopez was talking about that a little bit in terms of it's almost a cheat or a backdoor into... Uh, true mindfulness, that true moment of present and yeah. it, it's, it's it's a quick hack isn't it? And that potentially is why it's so addictive. Just had a question on that on that very topic actually, that once you've tasted or at least witnessed the power and the healing power of the ocean, because obviously surfers not street children, we know about and we we'll talk about, but do you think it's a responsibility to, as surfers we kind of want to hide that away, you know, we talk about secret breaks or we talk about great places to surf where we can have it on our own, but to kind of inject an ultra into surfing like you're doing Tom where you you take that stoke and you you pass it on you kind of giving other people the the you you know the the stoke the joy and the Godowskis brothers are doing this sort of trying to kind of get that positive message out there as well was that one of the drivers was to sort of share that the healing that it's given you with people that wouldn't otherwise be able to access it?
2: Yeah, very much so. I think that, you know, we are a surf community. It is really a thing. You know, it's a global thing. Pat, Dane and Tanner, classic example of surfers who get that they're part of a wider community. There is something intrinsically therapeutic in and of itself for surfing. And I think that when you acknowledge that you are a community, I mean, the reality is that anywhere I'll go in the world that's coastal, I'll probably end up kipping on the couch of a surfer. And there are so many other ways that the surf community pulls together. But I think any community that acknowledges itself as a community has to acknowledge that there is some sense of responsibility to other. And I think that that's what's challenging the surfing community and surfing world at the moment is that surfing can be a tool for positive good. And so what is our responsibility as surfers um, to harness that?
0: Yeah. I also think, Tom, about my playing devil's advocate here. I think about the... uh... The way I can be in the surf. And it's kind of this thing where I definitely want to be as altruistic as possible and be as loving as possible and kind as possible. And I also equally find it very challenging to actually practice that in the ocean because I can be a very, very kind human being on land. And when I go in the sea, something switches sometimes and it doesn't happen all the time. And I am better. But it's this thing where perhaps it's like the alpha in me. It's my ego, maybe. It's a lot of combinations of other things as well. I don't know. What advice would you give to people, Tom, like myself, who? kind of go into lineups and sometimes find that that competitive bit kind of maybe takes over the joy and altruism involved in the actual sport, the joy of it, the love of it, the kindness and all that stuff. Do you find that yourself at all as well?
2: Yeah, I get angry sometimes. In the <laughs> yeah, that's it. And uh, I don't like that guy that you become. Yeah, you know, we had a, a day. I mean, I've been back for lockdown, so I've never been out of South Africa for this long. So I've been surfing Croyd mostly. And there was a couple of days at the end of summer where, I've just never seen crowds like that mm. and people are pretty cool but you know some people act like kooks sometimes and sometimes people just don't have the knowledge they're, they're being super nice they don't realize they're doing something wrong but if you go out for a surf and you just every single wave there's four or five people dropping in on you it's like you'd have to be Gandhi not to get- <laughs> 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 and, and I, no, no, the first thing is I do I lose it. And then afterwards, I think, oh, man, I don't want to be that guy. You know, and um, we're all kooks anyway. So it happens. But um, I think that there is the question of there are limited surf breaks, you know, numbers of surf breaks. And if everybody surfs, it does get more crowded. So I think that is a real question on how to how to handle that. But I don't think it really feeds in too much into programs in what are sometimes classified as the surf therapy movement because you tend to find that people getting stoked out of that have come in at a very entry level. So you've got kind of like a whole crew of people getting super stoked out in the white water and then they're never going to make it out the back. But it doesn't matter. Their stoke is just, you know, turning around, going forward, standing up or not and being stoked. And that's cool. Yep. They're getting stoked just as much as we are. But it's all on the periphery it, Actually, unless it's one foot, and then you got to ask yourself why you're getting stressed out in one foot. It's one foot. But unless it's super tiny, their world is not really colliding with our world. Mm. And um, where it becomes a little more complicated is the kind of weekend warrior thing and, and wave pools and whether that, I don't know, is the answer. But um, I like to think that the vibes at the moment pretty good i love the positive vibe warriors i mean we've we've worked a lot with them and um they're all awesome crew um the godowskis and all those others who are involved with it but i just love the whole positive vibes and actually if you look at say croyd the groms that are coming up in croyd at the moment i mean you'll hear them just laughing and joking in the lineup it's actually Mm. a super positive place yeah And Croyd, like many places, kind of had a reputation as being a bit grumpy. Um, The new Groms are are super buzzed and laughing and joking and having fun. It's actually a really nice environment. A lot of people come up and say, oh, when the Groms are all in, it's such a nice vibe. So I'm all for that. They haven't been
1: burdened by... That ego and life and all that sort of grisly stuff that happens to people who are wearing a shield. We talked a lot on the show not so long ago about this concept, actually, that there's a sort of surf school happy that exists, that if we could just all hold on to it, like, you know, those guys who are in the water, they're like kids, aren't they? With the fact that they're unburdened. You know, when you see kids just not worry about what people think about them, they'll dance and they'll paint and they'll sing and they'll play silly games, is that that surf school stoke is... Yeah so raw and so new to those people that if only we could hold on to it. And almost as you paddle into this midsection and then out the back, it's like growing up and growing older. You, there's a tendency to wear that a little bit too seriously on your shoulders. Yeah. And you, know, you kind of want, to, you want people to stay surf school happy when they get to the bit that they're dreaming
2: about maybe, you know? Yeah. You know, sometimes <clears throat> you'll see some of these surf school beginners out in the lineup and you'll take off and they'll totally unaware drop in and you fly over the falls all with a smile on their face yeah. and you can't like tune them afterwards it's like they don't even know that there was an etiquette thing they'll learn that one day so you know you don't want to be the guy that's getting bummed at all of that good vibes and i think this whole movement so i don't think because people often say well all these programs for you know getting different people the, the buzz and stoke of surfing it's just going to make our lineup so much more crowded but actually the majority of the stoke is happening in uh, in the white water, absolutely. And, I do agree. Yeah, there'll be a few who um, who get past that and get out the back eventually. And why shouldn't they?
1: Yeah, it's all the growth, isn't it? If they're learning and they're developing, we all got to start somewhere.
2: We don't own the beaches, even as locals. And you know, localism can have a good. You know, things acts in the lineup can be dangerous. So I do yes. agree with a certain type of localism, but yep. not localism for greed, and not localism driven by ego. Mm-hmm. Just you know, being able to, to say, hey, you know, hurt someone like that, you know, yep. that's cool. But so often. It's it's just used as a as a negative you know and i'm'm I'm really against that
1: it's allowing people to stretch their comfort zones, but not at the expense of either their own safety zone or somebody else's safety zone. Because of all the work you're doing to mentoring people and spreading the stoke and you know serve therapy and force for good, who do you turn to as mentor for yourself? Do you have a crew of people around you? Uh, I mean, I did see you with the Pope the other day. He's pretty. He's probably quite a good mentor. But yeah,
2: his <laughs> yeah, one-on-one stuff. Yeah. Been what, great man. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> who, who's your self-help guru? Oh, this guy lives in the yeah. Vatican. And, you know yeah who do you turn to for your mentorship and your your kind of growth
2: yeah there's a couple of people that i know who've led similar lives to myself the one guy among many other things runs an organization called not for sale in america it's a human mm. tracking organization mm. i mean he's a businessman as well a guy called david batstone so i kind of you know have people like that that i sort of draw strength from And yeah, just a number of people that my father actually, he's been an inspiration, I draw strength from him. I chat with my brother a lot and various, you know, different people. But uh, yeah, I haven't got sort of like an official sort of council Mm. of however many people, but uh, yeah, it's a tricky question. I do have people that I I try and draw strength from 100%. And do you find that the work that you do with kind of kids who are accessing
1: surf for the first time or who have lived lives that we can only imagine how difficult they are? What are the key things that you're learning from them as well or that we can learn from them as people who sit in fairly comfortable and privileged sort of seats in the world?
2: Yeah, I often say that some of the best acts of humanity that I've ever seen have been among street children. Mm -hmm. So the way that kids have looked after themselves. And I've seen sort of when one kid gets really sick on the streets and another child just says, takes it upon themselves to basically look after that person in the streets and and, uh, you know even if they're dying and that's really powerful and you ask yourself why would a 13 year old kid feel any sense of duty to another person on the streets even though kids on the streets have been dealt an incredibly difficult hand it doesn't mean that they're uh, subhuman in actual fact sometimes they put those of us who've been privileged to shame there's a lot that I've learned from the kids of this on the streets uh, and actually from kids who've come through the program girls and boys who are now adults have really been inspiring And my wife as well she's um she uh, has a, an incredible life story i mean i didn't know her at this time obviously yeah. but she had grown up in the streets as well and we met actually at a street kids project and mm. she's a really good sounding board for me Uh, like if I come up with an idea around the issue and you know I have never lived in the streets and I can bounce those ideas off her so uh, I always say that the kids that I work with not only inspire me but they they educate me as well and may I just add that when I say I work with I am merely part of a much bigger team of local South Africans and local Mozambicans who essentially run the show. The fact that I can be away at the moment, obviously working on Surfers, not street Georgian, but the project runs well, while I'm not there, is testimony to where the real ground level work is happening. Our team of staff on the ground are superb, actually a joy to be working alongside.
0: Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you connect with what we do here at The Mindful Surfer, why not share it with your friends? Or Go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Because the more ratings we have, the more likely it is Liam and I can come back week after week and keep building this community of mindful surfers. Now, let's get back to the show. Tom, looking at your social media, there's there's so many awesome success stories. I forget the guy's name, but there was this um, chap who started working in a coffee shop. Is that right? There was someone that yeah. a part of your success stories, and I'm sure you've got many, many of them. What is it, do you think, about surfing that... Heals and gets people back on that path of getting their life in order.
2: For us, surfing isn't the model, surfing fits the model. So, surfing alongside mentorship and care Mm -hmm. is our model. You could put other sports and pastimes, it could be uh, soccer, you know, whatever. But, surfing for some reason fits really well. There's something intrinsically therapeutic about surfing. And I'll give you an example. A lot of the kids that are coming through our programs are coming out of drugs. One of the things I learned very quickly, despite the sort of myth of of surfing and drugs of the 70s, I mean, it was really happening, but drugs don't do anything for your surfing. I mean, they really don't. (laughs) I mean, no, I'm not knocking anyone. Damn it. (laughs) Who <laughs> takes drugs? You know, for being a good surfer, the kids on the streets who don't glamorize drugs in the slightest, and actually embarrassed by the fact that they use it as a mm. use drugs as a way of of surviving a lot of the mental pain as well and uh, the physical problems of being on the streets. They want to get out of that because it's seen as you know, once they become surfers, it's like I I don't want to be that. But the stoke of surfing is actually we find stronger. So we've had a really good, um, We've got a good track record of getting kids out of really hard drugs because they want to be better surfers. There is something intrinsic about surfing. They want that stoke that we were talking about earlier so much that they're actually willing to focus. And that's kind of how the program works is we immerse them in surfing. So rather than getting them into sort of very formal programs at first, we just immerse them in surfing. And someone might come and say, well, hang on a second, you, there's so much surfing here. And what do they, when do they do their X, Y, and Z counseling, life skills, whatever? So, yeah, that, that comes. But yeah. first things first, let's just surf. Let's just surf our brains out. Yeah. And um, we're unashamedly a, a bunch of surfers. And after doing this for a couple of months, they're so into it. They're so pumped about it. And you realize that they have not been going back to the streets at all. Maybe they're staying with us or maybe they're, you know, or they haven't been doing certain practices that they were because why not? Well, you know, I want to surf. Well, you're not going to the streets tonight to sniff glue. No, I want to surf early in the morning. Yeah. You know, they realize that these things don't work. So we joke that it's kind of replacing one drug with a, with a better drug. Yeah. But there is something about surfing. Now, I'm sure there are other pastimes which have that kind of stoke as well, which could, be, which could fit the model well. But surfing does, you know, fits extremely well.
1: And it's very easy for us as surfers of, of all levels to evangelize and to sort of really go out and talk about the impact of surfing and how much it sort of is a drug-like sort of pursuit, really. And, and, and the kind of this, like we say, this little hatch that gives you a window into, I don't know what it is, deeper spirituality or the here and now, whatever you want to call it. It is that kind of classic tagline of only a surfer knows a feeling. And the people that haven't accessed that or who haven't uh, tasted that pill, if you like, it's hard for them to get a head around it. But then when they do, boy, they're hooked as well. So it's almost like we could do with the world right now, uh, certainly from a political leadership perspective to get on a surf bus get a wetsuit on and get in the ocean and see how they feel that's
2: a really interesting uh subject because we kind of think i mean really if you if you're thinking about that stoke you would think that perhaps the surfers are a bit more enlightened or a bit more progressive Mm -hmm. and certainly some are But there's a couple of things going on in the the global surf community at the moment. And one is the rise of surfing as a tool for positive change. That's really positive. And there's a whole sort of progressive sort of uh, strand of surfing. But if you look at the comment sections in the, black lives matters posts and this demise of surfer magazine there's also a lot of really awful stuff and, and it's really made me kind of yeah. start thinking i don't know this whole thing of you know surfers are a bit out there and a bit more crazy bunch that thinks a bit more out the box i don't know about that now I, i'm wondering whether we're not just a microcosm of mainstream society and we're not as cool as we think because i was really blown away by the negativity that came out of the us and and oz and other places is during Black Lives Matter. yeah, Also, you've got to look at comment sections and realize that the people who are commenting, usually the people with, there's a section of community comments. Yeah, that's comments, true. Yeah, that's so true. Be that's careful. true. Yeah. But it was kind of horrifying. And I realized that there are a lot of, you know, uh, I'm not criticising anyone here. Yes. I'm not a right-winger. <laughs> so there yeah. are a lot of right-wing surfers, if you read the comments sections. Yeah. So are we kind of cooling out there and a bit more progressive or are we just, you know, sadly a microcosm? You know, I don't know. Well, it's no, a great it's a good, point. Very and good
1: point. It, well, we're humans, aren't we, for starters, and all of the flawed stuff that comes with this condition of living in this sort of a meat suit that sort of carries us through this life. And, you know, talk about mentors, one thing my dad would always say to me when it came to any cross-section of society and how to judge people he would always say we're all humans and they're simply the dividing line between us is there are dickheads and there are nice people and he said that's <laughs> the only difference you need to sort of see of people in life son. you know and yeah. it's true isn't it well,
0: what was your what was your thousand nobbies well that's quote? it yeah,
1: yeah there's a well there are people are commenting if you meet one or two dicks in your life you sort of might one or two dicks but if if everybody that you meet is a dickhead that maybe you should look in the mirror yourself sort of thing um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's true isn't it you know we you're right we sometimes get a little bit smug being. Surf, uh, though you think so, but we're
2: humans, so yeah. North Devon surfers like turned on each other during COVID. Man, it was like yeah. it was so crazy, they became so nasty you know not everyone of course but it was really about surfing and about you know people were spying on people if they went surfing posting pictures and and i was really against that and that's not to belittle covid and the importance of being safe maybe a lot of it driven out of fear but Mm. actually i i I felt for a period of time it actually brought out the worst and surfers just went crazy and turning on each other you know
0: What you were mentioning before, Tom, about the kind of pinch of salt aspect of who it is actually commenting or who it actually is who's being negative online, it's an interesting one because I think they talk about this a little bit in um, that recent documentary, The Social Dilemma, but we're getting a a sort of perhaps, this is only perhaps, obviously it's a theory, a a sort of... Myopic view of kind of perceiving the world as this negative place. So, you, you know, let, let's say, for example, the people who were doing this thing in Broughton of being spying and whatever, and people who are commenting on Black Lives Matter, and the sort of negativity coming through, is you kind of start to go, well, who is the kind of person who would comment like that in the first place, and who, who would even bother going online to comment? It might be that person who wants to kind of dive into that negativity. So, I think taking that pinch of salt, and then listen, maybe I'm just being too positive here and too believing in kindness and goodness, but that most people are good and kind. And with surfing in mind in particular, trying to keep that in mind, particularly when we're in a busy lineup, that I have to do this thing, Tom, all the time. And I want to know what you do mentally, because I I want to also get onto stand up paddling in a second. But when I'm being overly greedy, or when I'm being overly competitive, or I'm getting into that bit where I'm really not becoming the person I want to be, that I have to just keep checking in with myself that I've got to be the change that I want to see in the world. So if I want the surfing world to be a more positive place, well, fuck me, I better start doing it right now. Because Mm. otherwise, I'm just, just as much a part of the problem, right? And it kind brings me on to the stand-up paddle thing because I know that you're an exceptional stand-up paddler. Now, I know the time I met you, you were actually shredding on your shortboard in Sidmouth, which is a real feat in itself because it's not an easy place to surf. But I know I've got loads of stories about you, from great stories about your abilities on uh, on your stand-up paddle. And when I stand-up paddled, I definitely got into this greedy thing because I could just basically get a wave, turn around, get another one because I could see where the peaks were and I could do these things. Have you found that to be a challenge? Maybe you're much nicer than I am. You're probably much better in the lineup than I am in that way. But how have you managed the stand-up paddle thing, Tom, in lineups in general?
2: Just going back for a second, I mean, yeah when I'm shortboarding, if I get into that irritated and start taking the words, I find it quite difficult to change in a session. it's I get out and I realize I was that guy. Yeah. And then I feel bad about it afterwards. And then I try and tell myself, I mean, most days it's fine, but I try to tell myself to not be that guy. Uh, I don't always get it right. Um, I mean, I'm never, ever like really swearing at people, maybe once, <laughs> um, but not in a disgusting way. But yeah. uh, it happens. And I, I try and tell myself before the session, session hey hey remember don't be that guy you know nice. and then you can, then you actually go out beforehand nice. i find if i lose it in the session again rarely but on those awful overcrowded days that i find it really difficult to i have to actually just get out yeah. i had it recently where someone was taking all the waves i managed to check myself I said to myself you are paddle away because you're going to get into something and you don't want that and i paddled mm-hmm. away and, uh, but the stand up paddleboarding is, is an interesting thing. I actually love paddleboarding. I really do. Maybe not as much as shortboarding. Shortboarding is my first love in surfing, but I, I love the feel of riding a, a paddleboard in decent surf. I love the high-performance end of paddleboarding. Although this summer, uh, anyone who's been surfing Croyd will have seen me. I've been kind of riding a inflatable SUP in like two-foot surfing board shorts, which I've also really enjoyed. Yeah, I don't tend to SUP anymore at Croyd because I think certain waves, plus mostly at Croyd I want to be on my shortboard, um, certain waves are, lend themselves to supping. You've got to acknowledge that if you go, if you ride a SUP, you are a liability. And so you've got to have a very, very real understanding of your own abilities and err on the side of caution because you can hurt someone. I often say that I, I don't like surfing with suppers, I just tolerate myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I'm, good, Tom. <laughs> If I'm supping and someone comes over to me on the sup, I tend to paddle to the other end of the beach, I don't be associated. (laughs) And it's not because no one else should sup, it's that I've usually chosen the place where no one else is supping. I will be that one guy and make sure that I'm not acting like a dick, you know. There are times where you lose control of the sup, no matter how good you are on a sup, and so Mm. you've got to really err on the side of caution. So no one should really sup Croyd because it doesn't lend itself. You're going to be, there will be a moment where you're you're slightly out of control. Yeah. If there are a lot of people out and someone gets hit by your sup, even though my subs are like seven four, yep. you're still going to get hurt. So you've got, to, you've got to know how to operate. The rule of thumb should be to go where there aren't other people. You have the ability to get all the waves. You really do. If it's like one foot Puttsboro Beach and, you know, I'm on an inflatable SUP, I kind of think this, the waves are awful. No one's really going to be able to stand up in it. I'm going to yeah. take it. But I think if the waves are good, you've just got to be so, so sensitive. Um, it's a really difficult one because you have massive advantage. And also guys that are not so competent uh, have easy access to surf on the SUP. No one's really telling them the reality of the weapon that they that they, you know they're wielding, mm, you know, yeah. this... They're super dangerous.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, amen to that, because they freak me out. Unbeknownst to her, that she was getting the terminology wrong. My mother was referring to uh, suppers as water borders. Water borders. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the CIA,
2: which is a torture. <laughs> I said, yeah,
1: probably there probably is something in that somewhere that they're making a it. torture <laughs>
2: device. <laughs> yeah, I tell you something about the the sups though. They're very similar to shortboards If you're riding high performance sups, they're not like long boards mm. at all. I don't long board actually because it's uh, I find that it interferes with both my sup and shortboard, but high-performance supping is very similar to shortboard So you think that who could ever pull things like airs and stuff on a on a sup? It's actually easy because the physics of it is that you you have so much more speed You know, there are even things I've learned on the sup and then done on a shortboard. There is something absolutely incredible about the speed that you have Mm. Um, on a SAP and on those little tiny high performance ones, when you're flying, yeah. there is something special about it. And just because they are dangerous and people in the wrong hands, they're a nightmare. Put that aside for a second. Yeah. Truthfully, they are immense fun. Yeah, I no, I was here to that. I got so into it. We won't keep you too much longer
1: because I know you're sort of giving up your time here to talk to us. And it's fascinating. One of the sort of segments that we're trying to do as well is just kind of looking after body. You mentioned that you're approaching 50, because you're 49, did you say? And, and I'm catching you up at 44. Is there anything sort of unique or special that you have to do to keep your body fit? I'm amazed that you are that side of 40 looking at the, uh, the pictures of you and speaking <laughs> to you today. But what are you doing to sort of keep yourself fit for SUP or
2: SURF? Well, I actually have a long-standing back problem because I had a spinal fusion when I was in my 20s from a skateboard accident. So I manage a back problem. I I'm, I can do everything, but I, I have to work quite hard on managing that. That's why I sup, actually, originally, is to keep my back, keep my core strong to support my back so that I can shortboard. I genuinely notice that if I'm not supping, it hurts more. And when I'm supping, I feel much better at the same time I also I try to really eat healthy now and you know I'm so much more uh, focused on on those type of things and I want to say stretching I I stretch before I go into the surf I mean I went through in my late 30s I I had loads of injuries where Mm. I couldn't quite acknowledge that I was getting older and I broke things and tore things and in my 40s since uh, supping I I haven't really had those types of injuries so I think you've got to be really positive about it but I think there are big lifestyles changes as you get older and if you're okay with those you can keep fit and healthy and keep surfing i don't drink much so that helps when i do i feel so awful that I, like genuinely i just i can have like a glass and a half of wine and i feel like i when i was 20 and i drank way too much you know it was like <laughs> you kind of think what's wrong with you oh yeah getting older but so i i barely drink and and i try and eat as healthy as possible i have a cup of allergies wheat barley and rice so that kind of regulates what I can actually have anyway. I'm not celiac but but still, mm-hmm feel pretty miserable having those things so yeah you got to put a bit of effort into it as you get older I think that your 40s and I can only speak from my own experience of this is that going into your 40s anxiety ridden mm-hmm. um, you go in thinking oh man my best years over and then you get this kind of crazy midlife era that, and it can go so many ways for so many different people at least I felt that as you near your 50s hopefully you've kind of worked out that your 50s are kind of another chance to do your 20s again mm-hmm. and just with a lot more stretching and looking after yourself and (laughs) i'm kind of pumped about my 50s i'm not feeling negative at all about going into my 50s i I felt a bit negative in my early 40s and mid 40s Mm. and had to sort a lot of things out but now i'm thinking wow this is great so the next you know 10 20 years beyond gotta look after myself but maybe it's gonna be super fun inspiring
1: amen to that because you know will if i can give him a little bit of praise here has improved my surfing as i've got through my 40s and my body as well you know in, in his capacity as a sort of uh, fitness coach and sort of pseudo surf coach and it's amazing that if you kind of peel back the layers and just have that uh, well take the ego out of it and allow yourself to learn the joy in learning in your 40s as well yeah. new techniques and new things is amazing It's amazing what your body can still do. I fractured two bones in my lower back. Again, I think probably in my 30s when I was, you know, the ego was still trying to drive me to do things that I should have left behind, I imagine, in my 20s. And uh, to find that repair, but then to see the benefits in the ocean has just been a dream.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned learning new sort of maneuvers and things. I I really believe that although you might not as you get older, surf the size of waves. I probably don't surf the quite the size I, I used to in my 20s and 30s. I still like solid waves, but maybe you know, it's fair to say uh, maybe not quite as solid now. But I don't think you have to stop learning new things and. I like airs and stuff, but I'm, I've am i never been able to land an air reverse properly. And so I'm racing with my son and I'm kind of think it would be super funny to land my first air reverse in my 50s. You know, yeah. it would be just such a, a fun story, your personal story, you know. And my son's desperate. He he does pretty good air reverses, but hasn't quite slid out of them yet. Yep. And um, I'm kind of desperate to land it before he does. And he's kind of desperate to land it before, <laughs> Love that. before I do. So uh, we'll let you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I
1: love that positive attitude I think the one of the things for certain though you, with kids is no matter how many things you do that you think are going to impress them they'll always make you think that you're the most embarrassing uh, person on the planet yeah. <laughs> <That's
2: true.
1: laughs> um, just a very frivolous one as, as well you know I was joking about seeing you with the Pope and all of the great work that you've done and for other people around the world do you sort of cherish your or, or rather do you ever get starstruck with some of the sort of surf stars as well that you get to meet as an enthusiastic surfer do you have a fave and when you meet, you know, Kelly or whatever, do you ever sort of get starstruck or are they are they pretty good guys in the flesh?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think Kelly was always my hero. So getting to know Kelly has been fantastic. I really like him actually as a as a person. I think he's a very thoughtful guy. Mm. And he's been a tremendous ally of the organization. So I really think he's a guy I hold in in high regard, not just for his surfing. Yeah, I do get to meet a lot of the surf stars. I'm always in awe of their surfing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Many of them, unexpectedly, I don't know why they wouldn't be, but a lot of them have just been way cooler than I'd have expected. Mm-hmm. Like actually, you know, really engaged with the program. And that's been great to see. There's only a few that I've thought, okay, they're just you know not interested and in, not everyone will be interested you know but um, I mean we've had fantastic times with people like Stephanie Gilmore and she's just so cool, mm. and, yeah, seven times world champ and the way she is with the the girls in our Girls Surf 2 program she's mm. I mean, she's just absolutely aw- awesome and it's been really cool to see how the pro surfers have embraced the kids in our program and actually one of the things that's been interesting is we haven't necessarily had massive industry support, but a couple of the times where we've really struggled financially over the years, it's been pro surfers that have actually come to wow, our rescue. Oh, that's so awesome! I've got a lot of time for the. There's a couple I won't mention the, the surfers, yeah. but twice we've had pro surfers come in and say, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get involved," or have just happened to get involved at a time where where we've really been needing that. So amazing! Yeah, and of it's course, so like. Cool to hear. Coming from Durban, obviously, Geordie has been uh, a real ally as well. You know, we've watched him grow up and he's been involved with Surfers Not Street George, for, I would think, probably 10 years. Mm. Those types of relationships are not only good for the organization, they're really fantastic for the kids. And don't forget that the kids are surfers as well. And so they have Mm. their heroes of the surfers as well. So it's great to connect with all these people. And yeah, some of them are, I mean, you know, taking Prince Harry to the beach to watch the surfing. Yeah. You know, that's fun. But almost always, and especially in his case, they've just been really down to earth. And I don't right. think had a case of someone who's been sort of, you know, not that really.
1: It's amazing to hear. It's nice to hear. And what can we do? I mean, just kind of on the programs that you're talking about and having spent more time almost enforced here recently in the back in North Devon, what can we do to support the organizations? And, Are there any plans to further than what you have to bring or to spread it more to become a more global phenomenon and to work with people locally as well? I mean, what
2: can we be doing, Tom? thanks for that by the way that's a kind question we're in both South Africa and Mozambique and then of course we have a support network in the in the UK the first priority is we've always worked on kind of a survival budget and obviously COVID is, has hit quite hard and also it's been a pressure on on the staff it's like coming up with a program that you didn't have time to plan for so that's been really hard so what we're really trying to do now is to build the financial support so that we can really strengthen the two areas that we're working in strengthen mm. and develop so take us out of these sort of survival budgets into a more realistic budget so that's the first thing what we're aiming for we may well uh, upscale into another area we did into Mozambique and that's been really successful but I'm really keen to make sure that both of those projects are, are really well supported before we look at that and people in the UK or or further afield we definitely would value support probably the best way unless someone's sort of writing big checks which is always mm. nice. Probably the best mm. way is we're trying to develop an army of small monthly givers so people who say well you know i can sign up for 10 pound a month that's a couple of beers really you know we have on our website you can just tick the box and it's you know it's very easy to do and that monthly giving is great for us because we can plan you might think well what's 10 pounds going to do well if you get 10 people or 20 people or 30 people or 100 people it starts to really mount up mm-hmm. and if you look mm-hmm. at the exchange rates between pound and, and rand and metakash there it really does make a difference so you know we definitely encourage people i think mean, it's quite difficult here in the uk as we're, we're doing the podcast here because obviously there's all sorts of needs we have in the project but that's kind of things that can be dropped off but yeah the monthly giving program okay probably, follow us on instagram as well yep. because that's probably our connector point could you give well, us a, a quick website there tom for the listeners to be able to just go on to now if yeah. they want to We've got our new website coming in about two weeks, but feel free to go now. The, the, we've got a sort of intermediate one and that's surfnotstreets.org. Our Insta is just is surfers, not street children. Mm-hmm. So we'll put all of
1: this in the notes when the yeah. show goes out. Well, we'll leave it on that. The future of British surfing is there. It's a bright one. Thanks
0: for having me, guys. Nice one, Tom. Thomas. Thanks so much for coming. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, you too.
2: Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.
0: Great guy.
1: Honestly, so much more time than is available that we could give to to Tom and vice versa. I'd love to, and we will end up chatting and surfing together again. I mean, you and he have surfed together not that long ago,
0: actually, uh, Mm. here in in our local break, as you heard in the interview. He was really impressive surfing athlete because he was riding a slightly smaller board than your average kind of high performer on a Sidmouth Wave because we have very, very crumbly pretty unpowerful waves but he was making light work of them um and he's a big strong guy as with well. with, the, with this big strong guy big guy he's not just a little whippersnapper and um i thought geez this guy's he's really next level surfer and uh turns out that yeah he had this life of surfing and uh he's passed that on to the to the charity that, that he works on and clearly with kelly slater and the pope and all these people these well, they good people huge to have in your speed <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. if you want some if you want some advice like he said you know it's, it's kind of inspiring isn't it for me, it's great to hear, because like he said, you know, surfing, and we kind of extol this a lot, this virtue that, you know, the ocean's great and aren't we cool? And and, we, and it's a very kind of loving, giving vibe that we're putting out there. As he said, it, surfing is just a microcosm of, of society and, and humans. We like to think that we're very virtuous, but, there you know, there are lovely surfers and there are not so lovely surfers, because that's life. There are nice humans and not so nice humans. That's how we seem to have evolved and mm. operate so to hear him wearing that honesty and, and sort of looking at it like that you know it's not a holier-than-thou attitude to it it's a very pragmatic human real world uh, approach to using this amazing gift that we've got uh, as a way of connecting with people things that resonate with me uh, and we obviously mentioned the Godowskis brothers who we're big fans of here on the show as well the way that surfing is used to um, capture the imagination of people that then you can help because you're, you, you are hooking them with a drug that's much better than the drug that they might previously have been on in, in the instance of some of the, the kids that Tom's helping. All of that stuff just shows how much kind of almost responsibility we hold as well as a community. Tom used that phrase community of surfers to give a little bit of something back. So I know we're going to be supporting, but uh, as as kind of um, supporters of Surfers, Not Street street Children, and I would advise that, you know, if you've got a bit of spare um, cash that you would otherwise spend on a box, a few bars of wax on a monthly basis, you know, throw it their way because um, there's a lot of people that need that both here and there more than,
0: more than we do. Completely do. The funny thing about this negativity that comes from the online community in so many ways is that we've discussed before that, and we said on the show, on the interview, like, who is that person who is so negative online? And truthfully, on a much much deeper level, it comes back to a sort of Tony Robbins quote in relation to what we might call ultra negative people, which is that all human communi—this is his quote: "It's all human communication is either an act of love—that's it—is either an act of love or a cry for help." So when someone takes it upon themselves to be negative online about something, and not just like coming in with a critical opinion and being kind of measured and mindful about it, but just genuinely negative and shitting on the world or shitting on the person or whatever they want to do. Is there some real pain in there? The only way that we can, as a world, heal that is to not ourselves get down about it. Because, you know, like Wayne Dyer says, me getting unwell isn't going to help even one person get well. So if I get down on how down people can be, if I get pissed off about how negative people if I get frustrated with how self-centered and and weird people can be, then I'm doing just the same. I'm bringing that vibe down too. Because I'm... (laughs) I'm the pot calling the kettle black right it takes a very mindful human to notice how um, how ridiculously judgmental we can be in an unconscious way because of course it's unconscious it's-
1: and we are all guilty of varying degrees of it mm-hmm. i think the sort of vitriol and anger that sort of spews out into sort of comment sections and online forums and so on is a phenomenon that obviously exists in society but yeah, it's an outlet for some unchanneled unhappiness somewhere or some something. And, and, and I, I don't really know what the answer is to it. I think they, we talked about social dilemma, didn't we, a few weeks ago, but sometimes the positioning of stories on online, the way that polarization sells clicks or, you know, subscriptions or whatever, or, or gets eyeballs, encourages that kind of polarization, division, anger. It's almost like anger sells. And without being too deeply hippie about it, we're all human. So of course, you know, we're sat here. We, I, I get frustrated with the way the world is very much. And there are lots of things to be anxious about or to kind of be angry about, but to sort of spew that hatred into the, into the sort of ether is, uh, something I really struggle to understand mm-hmm. kind of the deep, you know, why, what, what it's happening. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's, it's a shame that it happens, but it's a human condition as well. It's a reaction to something. It's a shame that it happens. And it's it's more of a shame because you can understand it in wider society when we're talking about politics and religion and all of those things. that There's all those polarized kind of views coming together in one place. It's like people coming and shouting at each other in a big empty sports hall almost. But for it to be so much as well in part of some of those surf forums that Tom
0: spoke about. It's sad, really. Mm. That you, it is. yeah. You know. But hey. No, it is, dude, it is. But um, there's another, I'm uh, full of quotes today. There's another one by being negative about negativity and how ironic yeah. it is. But there's a Mother Teresa one, which is, um, I won't attend an anti-war rally, but the moment you create a pro-peace yeah. one, I'll be at the front of the queue. Yeah, And that's the power of silence, because you can't cut silence in half. You can't turn it upside down. You can't times it by two. There's only one true healer in any facet of life, in any in or out of the ocean. And it's just silence saying nothing, just being the stillness and no opinion, no this, no words, no. And that is just so powerful for all these things because now you're just, yeah, you're embodying the peace that you're actually wanting in the world. And it's it's a challenge, it's an immense challenge because on an incredibly regular basis daily, in fact, if I'm being truthfully honest, um, I fuck up on that all the time. But I think that's the journey. It's, it's being able to go, God, yikes, I can be so mindless. Okay, and now I'm being mindful again. And you'd spot it. And that's part of the thing, isn't it? That's the whole journey. It's a human condition, as
1: we said in the interview. That's the journey. And humans, definitely, I was reading an article the other day about our capacity for thinking and over over analysis is the very thing that makes us miserable. We have a negativity bias, don't we? We Mm -hmm. have a leaning to be miserable. Mm -hmm. And the more you poke that misery, that overthinking button, the sort of negative emotions and all that negativity, it just feeds it constantly. It's like a sort of never-ending circle of angst because we're programmed a little bit it's a power it's a superpower but it's also a our kryptonite isn't it that kind of overthinking big time we spoke to tom about he didn't want to be that guy when he goes in the ocean this was a really interesting i mean apart from the i mean you can hear it all in the interview with the, the sub stuff but it hit the fact that yeah he go on because this is resonates with you you were yeah, talking well, about you know, even
0: during the interview yeah all it was he said something about it's just very honest and when someone's Really honest about themselves, you you do get an insight into how aware they are because you then go, oh, okay, so they are monitoring their actions and what they say and how they are on a present by by present moment basis. So they are really tuned in with that, and you get this nice. It's very rare to hear it because most people aren't that aware. When you hear it, it stands out. And Tom, wow, hats off to his level of internal journey there because he was able to say, I can be that guy, quote unquote, of being aggressive in the water, when he's not kind of created this um, pre-surf ritual of I'm going to go in to be, to be compassionate and open and letting go. and I'm, Is that when he's – if he's just in there and he's in a rush and he just does it, goes surfing, and people get in the way, he can lose it and does lose it. And that, for me, was the gold of, of what we're doing here because it's just so much more what life's like and what – not like, but what it is. And uh, don't we – you know, try and create this show where, you know, we put up shields of, you know, I'm so special at this and I'm so good at that. It's like just such bollocks. Well, it's everyone's human. And actually, on that front, I got to mention, before I forget, I got to mention that Matthew McConaughey, talking about social media and media, Matthew McConaughey on Joe Rogan podcast just recently. Oof, wow. Check that out. But did you have anything you want to share on, on that, dude, with, with Tom's insight there? Well, I mean, I, this is a recurring theme for me. That bit that you just mentioned
1: there about his, he's a true mindful surfer. We do these interviews and you connect with people. You connect with Tom because he wears all of the good things that he's doing. Mm. He wears with a very authentic human sort of feeling, doesn't he? And, And a kind of openness about it that, you know, you see a lot of people who are doing force for good projects or mindfulness projects or, you know, lifestyle, fitness and so on. And it's so shielded because it's this image of perfect, like we said, it's perfection presentation that makes your comparison with it unrealistic. And so someone like Tom just wears that completely authentically. He's like, yeah, I'm doing some really good stuff, but I'm also a human being, so occasionally I get <laughs> pissed off with stuff and that's what this shows about as well. It's it's trying to wear this cloak of trying to be better, but with acknowledgement that humans make stupid mistakes or they get things wrong or they 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 fall into their their own traps of overthinking and so on. So so that was really cool. And the other thing, again, as my body creaks and, and ages, this philosophy that even in your, put it, 30s, 40s, 50s, but particularly for me and Tom, he kind of a bit later in his 40s than me, is that there is still a lot of good stuff ahead if you train and practice and grow. And, you know, your surfing can get better. Uh, we we get a lot of messages about this from our listeners and keep them coming, please. That doesn't matter what decade you're in, your surfing can get better if you dial in the right approach to it and you have the right mindset. It is not an inevitable thing that you uh, have to decline so rapidly with age. Yes, you know, my appetite for a big surf is sometimes, you know, not really where I want to be. And Tom mentioned that as well. And it's great to have that authenticity, but you know, you can learn, you, you, your surfing can get better. Your body can get fitter.
0: That for me was super, super inspiring. It's really, super, really cool. I remember watching a Nat Young narrating on a surf movie years ago and he said something like, I don't get as many waves today as I did when I was 20. But the ones I do get, I cherish and surf better. And that was cool because this guy was 56. Then that would be now in his 60s, 70s. I'm not sure. A lot, he was a longboard champ, they were all shortboard am not sure. In the 70s, mm. Nat Young, his son's Bo okay. Young. Um, and it was so cool because I can see that journey because your skill set just goes up and up with experience, right? So clearly in your 30s, your 40s, your 50 you're actually doing better maneuvers. Surfing's a unique sport like that because it takes so much more artistic kind of creativity and skill mixed together compared to other sports where you it's just pure power and prowess and, and athleticism. So surfing's very, very cool at like that because you can just really genuinely grow gracefully because your surfing can be and will be probably much more graceful and better. So with, let's say, you know, football, rugby, American football, wherever you listen to this, you know, whatever. It, when sports are power-based and pure fitness like that, et cetera, yeah, hanging up your boots is... Not a bad idea at certain or, or, age. Or your gloves. Or,
1: or if you gloves. Look at, look at some of the old boys trying to come back into the ring. You know.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the Mike Tyson one? Yeah. I mean... can't believe that. I mean, for a sport like that. But but yeah, I I think surfing's cool like that, isn't it? Surfing will mould to you as much as you will
1: mould to it as your age. But there are gains to be had and. You know, for, for me, I, I relate massively to that because I'm a, people watching me surf will go, shit, what, what was he like in his twenties? Fuck, it must be. <laughs> but I, 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 I am a, I'm, I'm a better surfer, if you can, if you, if you want to use that comp, better, comp, whatever the yeah, context what means. But, you know, there's some technical improvements there and some kind of mindset improvements that absolutely, you know, I don't have a hiatus. I had a break from it really for more than I realized. I'm, I'm surfing better than I've probably surfed in my life now. And that's I think that's available for anybody to that's that's really cool, man. That's wicked. Well
0: listen, um guys, thanks for having us. It's been a long one today because um, the, the interview was so good, but it was
1: just great. Really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. And we'll see you again soon. Keep, next week. Keep listening. Nice one
1: guys. Bye.